0: Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by The Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at indiegame.business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business to business meeting system also make sure to donate to extra life we've got a link down below in the description or you can even join the indie game business extra life team that link is down in the description as well here we go indie game business
1: Hello, and welcome to the Hiring and Retaining Diverse Leaders, the Next Generation of Games panel. In this panel, we'll be discussing how to move forward from the harassment and discrimination that has plagued our industry. It is imperative that we recognize the failures that led to these situations and come together to create solutions that ensure the game industry is inclusive, supportive, and safe for all developers. I'm Renee Gittens, the executive director of the IGDA. It is our mission to support and empower game developers around the world in achieving fulfilling and sustainable careers. Today, I am joined by Nika Noor, Anita Sarkeesian, and Carl Vernado. Before we get into our discussion, I would like to allow our panelists to introduce themselves. Uh, Anita, do you want to start? Sure. Um, so I'm Anita
2: Sarkeesian. I'm the executive director of Feminist Frequency. You might know me from a video series we did called Tropes versus Women in Video Games, uh, where we looked at the history of sexism in gaming. <laughs> uh, and our latest project is the Games and Online Harassment Hotline, where we are providing emotional support to folks who make and play games. Wonderful. Anika?
3: Hey, my name is Nika Noor. I am the executive director of the IGDA Foundation, sister organization to IGDA. We, uh, we focus on um, building pipelines and solutions so that individuals that are diverse from around the world uh, that are either starting out in games or mid-career can find new job opportunities, tools, and growth to actually succeed in games.
4: And a wonderful partner they are. And Carl? Hi, my name is Carl Bernardo. I am the Black and Gaming Chair. Uh, We are a special interest group for the IGDA. We focus on advocacy for African Americans in the game industry from education to to, um, uh, incubation. And our big initiative this year is the Big 5 and uh, 5, getting the African American representation in the game industry up to 5% in 5 years.
1: Wonderful. As you can see, this is a great panel for talking about both diversity and inclusion. If you have any questions for the panelists during this panel, please uh, go ahead and comment them in your chats and we'll be answering those questions in the last 10 or 15 minutes. The title of this panel is Hiring and Retaining Diverse Leaders, and I wanted to ask our panelists, uh, where do you think the game industry currently stands in both of those regards?
0: you
4: might want to go first Mm -hmm.
1: go for it casual conversation
4: (laughs) okay um where does it stand is it has a follow-up question so is it where does it stand as far as are they doing well or are what we're going to improve on So I
1: I think that both are uh, worthy to be talked about right now. Um, You know, obviously there's some improvements that the game industry has made in the past decade or so. And there's also a lot of room uh, where we can improve even further. I think it's important to acknowledge both so our audience can get an understanding of the current state of the game industry.
4: So my, my judgment would be that the game industry right now still has an insider's club. And the insider's club is very difficult to navigate, right? So I think the game industry has probably done a pretty remarkable job the last couple of years of trying to diversify how they recruit, but they haven't done a good job of building in culture that keeps that going, right? So I think there's a lot of discussion um about how we approach the game industry how we look at the game industry how the game industry tries to like do outreach and those are some some really good efforts there right but as far as like mid-career and uh top of the industry we've done not a great job of so we have a retainment issue and we have a recruitment issue i don't know if that makes any sense
1: no absolutely Mm -hmm. Nika, I know this is something you're really passionate about. I know. About. I'm trying
3: to <laughs> refrain here because right. Like I, I absolutely support and love everyone on this panel, just so that the audience knows, like Anita, Renee, and Carl are absolutely fantastic at driving missions and solutions home. But I I I would say that like Carl and Renee are being way more positive than I would be. I'd say I'm absolutely mm-hmm. floored right now. It totally, it's not, it's I I'll put it this way. I five, six years ago, I set out on a mission to, you know, just support us awesome, talented people, people in faces you don't see. And I realized that it's been like the six year anniversary of my personal commitment to just diversify the industry, either through games or people or whatever. And it has been quite uh, not a fun journey. Um, and, I, you know, like it, it kind of sucks because you have a lot of people that have had um, kind of been demonstrating a lot of lip service, but you also have really amazing actors in the field, like Carl, like Anita, like Renee, who really, really, really care deeply and personally and passionately drive that mission home. And so when it comes to you know how we hire and retain, Carl has 100% hit, uh, hit the essential issue on the nose. There is an insider's club. If you want to get hired if you want to actually be in a position of authority that isn't um an intern or an assistant uh it's who's going to recommend you it's what's your personal network and most of that network is either out on a golf course or playing with them uh, games within one uh within each other or they're going to happy after uh, happy hours after five all of that is perfectly fine and reasonable and acceptable but we're not including diverse talent and voices in those conversations, in leadership, in executive um, learning and management. That's the barrier that we really need to break, is making sure that diverse talent is actually in a level of executive seniority, authority, with actual budget and ability to make decisions without retaliation.
2: Uh, No one's ever accused me of being too positive. (laughs) So I'm happy (laughs) to jump on that bandwagon. so I, I think I'm a slightly different perspective in terms of my situatedness in the games industry. Um, you know, I come into this as uh, a media critic. I come into it as someone who has dealt with an enormous amount of harassment um, from fan communities and various games communities, and supporting people in this space. And so, while um, I, I'm not, our organization does not actively work on. Uh, you know, like our mission is not driven on getting more inclusive and diverse representation in like staffed in the games industry. I think that you can't disconnect the culture of games, both fan communities, um, what games are being made, what the representations in games are and all of these different spaces to who gets to make them, right? like who gets to be in these spaces. And what I've seen over the 10 years or so that I've been doing this work is that we have the same similar problems to the tech industry at large. Right. We come from a history of massive white boys club. Right. We kids in their basements who started, you know, the the sort of Kind of false narrative of like you know you got this scrappy startup and then you get bigger and bigger and then you're this big organization but there's still no structure there's no infrastructure there's no support mechanisms in place and I think that that's really relevant to understand why we are how we are you're hiring your friends as both Carl and Nika mentioned there's um, there's severe gatekeeping happening but also the culture of these industries uh, the culture of these um, studios is a huge part of. The retention issue. Women bounce out of games very quickly. And part of the reason for that is because um, the culture might We might now be at a place in the games industry where we say, hey, okay, we need to like acknowledge that we got too many white dudes here. So we got to hire more people of color, more black folks, more women of color, trans people, disabled people. Like there is a conversation that has been happening around that for a while. But the other side of the coin is what are you going to do to keep them? What are you going to do in your workspace To acknowledge that like you are bringing in different experiences and different voices because you have just claimed that it's important. But what are you going to do when they speak up and say, man, this is a this is a toxic workplace or I don't think that what you're putting in this game is, you know, inclusive and supportive. Right. So I think that's a big part of this conversation of you know, it's not, you know, I don't like the word diversity. I think that it's really simplistic and reductive and doesn't really get at really what we're talking about. But when we do, when we are trying to bring this together, like understanding the difference between diversity and inclusion here is I think really critical.
4: So let me ask a question with that. So like, you, so, cause I love, I love what you guys said. Have you seen the way that companies approach diversity and inclusion as their buzzwords as a charity versus a competitive advantage, right? Because that's what the issue I think breaks down to is there's a standard created when you have 10 white guys in the room, right? Is that they're the best. And so when you can diversify your staff, you're somehow not recruiting the best talent, right? And so this is kind of like one of the problems is this over-inclusion mythos of, the white guys are the best in the world and they've been recruiting and have to go after and whether that's at Berkeley or Stanford or whatever school that is. And once they get those positions, then anybody that comes in after it has to like be on this standard level. Have you seen cases in your, in your opinions of people that are mediocre in those positions, but, but get classified as the best because they are a certain kind of culture? Nika, mm-hmm. Renee or Anita?
3: I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm parsing a little bit of what you said. I want to make sure I understood your question, right. um, it, just so that I make sure I've I've got it. Are you saying that standards are created based on who's hiring, and then the repetition of that same class of people that are getting jobs? Is that what we're?
4: Yes. Doing? So Anita made this point, and I think it's critical. Right? right. Is that people hire their friends? Right. Right. And the, the, there's overrepresentation. So then there's there's ten friends. Uh, let's say eight white guys and two, um, two other minorities who are not black usually that are the standard, right? And they're right. not women. And so then they deem themselves as master game designers, master art people, master programmers, right? right. And so that standard is created. So then when they get, they get big enough, people are like, okay, you got to diversify your staff, right? And then right. they project out to the world that they can't do that because there's nobody out there because right. to go down in standards would be to hire other people. So that standards been created I where see. now the default mechanism for diversity is eight white guys and two minorities, and anyone else is substandard to that, that mechanism. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, anyone who says that they can't right. hire diverse talent because it doesn't exist is lazy. Because we have applications open where we ask for grantees to apply for one of our three programs, whether they're diverse, and I know, Anita, it's not your favorite word, right? But people that are underrepresented in different countries based on neurodiversity or LGBTQ plus, accessibility, brown, black, like women, uh, trans, everything. And we have thousands of applications that come in. So there are lots of people who want to make games that aren't cis white men. The thing that I want to caveat is we're not like going after the extinction of white men games. That's not what we're asking for. We just want a level playing field for every person who wants to make games. And the playing field isn't level. One company uh, did an experiment on hiring new talent. They just took the names off the resumes. Boom. Instantly, they had a more di- more diverse or more inclusive or more equitable talent pool because there's unconscious bias. Even I will admit, I have an unconscious bias when I see, um, young Muslim girls that, you know, want to work in tech or don't earn or like fighting against their parents standards. Like I'm immediately drawn to them because as people, we are complicated we are drawn to that there's nothing wrong with that instinct but there is um there is a value to understanding what your biases are and and why they're there and then making sure that they don't impact um they don't impact that that playing field that you're not accidentally setting a tone that isn't representative of our community of games that isn't representative of the community who wants to play or create or whatever um and that you're not accidentally um, or possibly, you know, negatively impacting that, and that's that. Those are the consequences that we're trying to reverse and negate.
1: Absolutely, I know that uh, some studios are making sure that they're getting additional reviews on their job postings to ensure that uh, gendered language aren't being used in their job posting, as you said, to set that tone of the types of applicants that they're they're looking for. Um, I think. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I,
2: you know, I'm, I'm, I think that there's um, a larger systemic issue uh, related to what Carl you're asking about. And I think you're asking about it because you have an answer for it yourself. Um, So maybe like, so I I don't mean to step on toes if this is it, but I, I think that like, there's an importance to understanding the systemic nature of white supremacy, of patriarchy, of heteronormativity, that like, this is not unique to games. Although we are, we are trying to address this in games that like, historically marginalized folks have been left out of the education environment they've been left out of opportunities they've been left out of mentorships um and so you know when we talk about are there candidates there might are there are there candidates from marginalized backgrounds or diverse candidates right there might not be as many as you'd like now i'm not saying that's true i'm just saying like let's let's kind of hold this for a minute. There might not be as many as white dudes, right? And cis white dudes. And that's probably a fact at this point, um, that are at whatever caliber or level you want them at. And that's because we have had years and years and years of systemic um, um, efforts to keep us out right? Like actively keep us out, whether it's cultural, whether it's economic, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. You know, I played video games for a long time when I was a kid. And when I got into high school, I stopped playing them. Why? Because it wasn't for girls. It wasn't, right? So my friends weren't playing them. So why would I keep playing them? Like these are little cultural things, little cultural moments that really impact um, a particular space. So I think that it is the, the industry's responsibility to make sure that um, marginalized folks uh, feel welcome, that they feel engaged, that programming targets them. you know, people have a lot of opinions about affirmative action, but it exists for a reason. It's to give folks opportunities who would never have otherwise had those opportunities. And I think we need to think about, well, why don't you hire someone that's a little more junior and maybe mentor them to the position you want them to be at? Give folks these opportunities. And like, Carl, when you introduced what you were doing, you're trying to get 5% Black folks in the gaming industry. Like, we just need to take a minute and acknowledge how sad that is. Right. It's, that like that your goal is to get to that point that we're not even near that point right now.
4: Uh, Jerry Lawson in 1976 so with the cartridge. So he's African-American. And that was 43 years ago. Major League Baseball on the same amount of time. So like Jackie Robinson, a great major League baseball in 19, I think, 46. 20, uh, 40 years later, there's 28% by people in the major league baseball. The gamers, the game industry's never gotten more than 2%. And and the 2.5 is generous. I mean, we're usually at one to 1.5% in the game. Industry. <laughs> 40 years later. Like, so, I mean, like to your, to your point, like it's, it's, it's often argued that like, where they're doing really great. We're not doing great. I was being generous by the effort, but not the, uh, not in the, uh, not in the conclusion of that idea. To go back to your point about systemic racism, because um, people ask them, I'm an ally and I want to do something, you know, like, and I say, well, you have a responsibility. They say, well, why do I have responsibility? And I get this a lot: is why do I, as a current white person in America, have responsibility? I go, well, think of it like this. All right, so if you come to a stoplight, right, and the stoplight has no audio signal to to let people know when it turns red or green, right? and there's a blind person standing at the corner right for you to be so self absorbed you never notice the blind person is not fair to them because they need somebody to tell them hey cross the street they can't they don't know they can't there's no way for them to understand when it's safe for them to cross that street unless you stop out of your busy day and take them across the street at the right moment because the system never created anything for them to access that right? So you have responsibility if you're an ally to stop and make kids aware of opportunities, to make kids aware of educational opportunities, to make kids aware of how to do the resume right, to make somebody aware of how to do the pitch correctly. There's all these different little mechanisms that keep people from being successful. And if you're too busy, if you're too self-absorbed to help hear that, you're not an ally, you're an observer. And that's very different. Um, Dynamics. You're not helping. You're just watching everything happen. You're not actively against them, but you're not actively for them either.
1: Absolutely. It sounds like there's definitely multiple levels where we can improve uh, the inclusion of everyone within our industry. And it seems like early, uh, even pre-industry, having to ensure that schools are inclusive and that game content is inclusive enough that people can see themselves in games and see themselves perhaps in the game industry is important. What do you think are the steps where we can improve that? What needs to be done in order to ensure that these youth are feeling inspired to pursue game development?
4: Let's go first here. I know this is going to be good. <laughs> well, I know. I know these answers are going to be great.
2: Okay. I don't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go start with something, it, and then go everyone it, else can chime in on something <laughs> not as depressing. as what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> one of the other pieces of this is that as we have been seeing, toxicity and abuse is rampant in our industry. Yes. So you know, I get. I get. So- I regularly at when we used to do live events, um, get people coming up to me, mostly young women who say, you're the reason I entered the games industry. And I'm always like, why? Like, why is seeing what I did, what happened to me and how much I was abused in this space, inspire you to join the industry? And, I, and you know, I know the reasons and it opened a door for people and, and showed a space where folks were speaking up. But I think that that's a really important piece here of like. Folks from the outside right now are looking in at us and going, man, your industry sucks. Like, why would we want to be a part of that? Why would you put yourself, especially if you're coming from a marginalized background, into a space where you have to fight um, tooth and nail to to make it you are going to be subjected potentially to harm um, you know I think there's a lot of incredible amount of value to all the brave courageous people who are speak, speaking up right now about the abuse they're experiencing but we need to get our shit together because I don't know if I can say that here sorry I did it's live <laughs> um, <laughs> whatever um, but we need to really reckon with the fact that we have this history that we can't just ignore we can't just throw money at the problem we can't just write a couple apologies as an industry and we can't just like put a superficial effort on hiring we really need to reckon with what are the systemic um, and institutional injustices in our companies because I want young people to look up to the games industry and be like, that's cool. Because you know what? The games industry is cool. Like it is really cool to work in this space, to be able to create this, the, the, this type of art and technology and the combination of all of that and be on this like really in- train of innovation. And so I just wanted to put that up front a little bit of, like, the reality of how people are looking in and what is it that we can do to support those young people coming in so that they don't have the experiences that we're having and that um, uh, folks have, have had for the last several decades.
3: Oh my gosh. I see. What I love, As like, I was about to say, like, oh, what's so funny? I mean, it's not funny. As, Anita, you're talking about, uh, as you're talking about, like, here's the big picture, here's the systemic stuff we need to fix My approach this year, because we're in pandemic year, and Carl and Renee know, they've been like holding my hand through it all, we usually have these, right, we literally, our whole purpose as a foundation is to actually support those young people coming in, or people that are three to seven years in uh, in games, um, from all walks of life and different backgrounds. And because we had a pandemic year, we are like, shit, how do we find... People jobs? How do we redo resumes? How do we open up opportunities and access? And quite frankly, maybe it's not like the best approach, but my approach has been like, especially with this new generation, um, my approach has been like, we're not getting the systemic shit done this year. We're not getting it done next year. Uh, I hope, I, I hope to God or a higher power or whatever that we do get the industry to 5%. Um, African-Americans or African in five years. It is such a sad, sad goal. And our, our whole, at least my whole stance on it has been teaching the next generation. Maybe this is also sad. Um, uh, but, uh, but basically, it's been about like teaching them how to navigate when crap hits the fan. I have basically drilled it in every week. We have lots of awesome positive people and just so you know how much work it is to actually, right, Carl, like when it comes to like how do you like help the blind guy know to go? Just so you know for 60 people to find jobs, navigate the industry, we pulled in 80 plus mentors. Uh right now we're at over 30 plus different panel speakers live, pre-recorded, etc. 13 different video game companies. Um, 40 volunteers that are alumni that have come in as camp counselors and I think like we have maybe another series of 30 plus people coming in to speak that's a lot of people that's like 300 people doing a virtual program for 60 people it literally takes a village and it's going to take two months to get all of these tools across it is real work because that's how bad and broken the industry actually is it requires that many people it requires so many workshops and tools because we've been basically baking in like here's how to do it here's how to hustle here's how to negotiate your salary also if you know stuff happens to you here's options one two and three of right now how you can deal with this um and i right i don't know if there's a lot of other industries that are like Creating the tools and understanding the uh, explaining circumstances and different potential events of what the bad things are that can happen to you. Because so many people come in bright eyed, bushy tailed, they're willing to take any deal, they're willing to take any job, they're willing to work a million hours because they really badly want to make games. Um, and I've already told them it's going to be a shit year for you, you know, finding a job but this is not gonna be the hardest point of your career. There is always a possibility and maybe a little bit of an inevitab- inevitability that you are going to face other injustices due to the skin that you're born in, due to the race you're born into, due to the family you were born into. And these are the, these are the circumstances of trying to figure out what does true resilience look like and, how, and making sure that people aren't pushing themselves beyond their emotional needs and bandwidth um, and just doing good work. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to just, do awesome work, call it a day, and that be it. Um, but it's not the case. And so I don't know. Anita, I know you're like, we should fix the systemic stuff. I'm like, I, I'd rather just get the tools on like when the systemic stuff happens, here's what you got to do. Here are your current best options. They're not that great.
1: So it's absolutely wonderful um, that uh, the IGA Foundation is doing so much to support uh, these youth and early career developers in uh, navigating the uh, potential issues that they run into within the game industry. Uh, Carl, what were you gonna say?
4: Marginalized people have two wishes, autonomy or access, right? That's the two wishes, right? You want access to things you wanna do, or you want autonomy, do them without interruption or oversight, right? Because you want to do the things you want to do. And too many times in the game industry and other industries that are like the game industry, people want to attach things to opportunity. If you get access, it's access with a certain kind of chit to it, right? If you get access only to a certain point and then you're stopped. There's this like there's these these, these levers they, that they pull and push on you to make sure you don't have access the same way somebody else does. right? You don't have autonomy the same way somebody else does. So venture capital is about autonomy, right? You get enough money to do the thing you want to do, or you have to like worry about somebody coming in and changing your program or changing your idea once you started doing it, right. And so when you're talking about what tools can you do, if you're a game company and you want to really make a difference, I mean, really make a difference, right? You give IGDA, you give IGDA Foundation, you give Anita's company, you give them $5 million and say, go do what you want to do, right? Go do all do all the activism you need to do in the world, and I will watch you and be proud, right? If you really want to make a difference, you give people the resources and tools to be able to do the things that they are passionate about and without attachment, you don't try to do it the way you wanna do it. You don't put your own stipulations on it. You don't do it because it worries you. you if you want somebody to catch up and be able to run this lane the way you wanna do it, you give them the, the kind of money and resources they need to do it without having to answer to you. That's true, that's a true gift from a sponsor and not uh, other things.
0: Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher list. And you can get it for free. Check it out.
1: So right now, a lot of uh, those discussions to get money and resources tend to happen at industry events or industry tangential events like networking events and parties. A lot of the harassment um, uh, of incidences uh, have occurred at those kinds of events. Uh, Do you think there needs to be any change to how the game industry approaches these networking events?
4: You asking me directly, or the, the entire group? Whole panel, anyone can answer. I think that I'm sure. I think there's a couple of different ways to approach that, right? So, I think any um, any industry, even across the board, has unfair situations for women, and that's a societal issue for years and years and years and years and years, and years because we create uncomfortable environments by making things social, making business social in that sense. Uh, doing it around drinks, around bars, like that creates the kind of nightmarish atmosphere you're talking about, right? But the second way though is, I've heard this in many people in the game industry. How'd you get that job? It was 1130 at night and I was in somebody's room playing a video game and they decided to have the, they decided to like, they found the job opportunity. Like they found the information in a way that's impossible not to get it if you're not in the Insider's Club, right? To ask somebody who's um, a woman to be in your hotel room at eleven thirty at night is problematic. To ask somebody who is a um, parent to be even around eleven thirty at night is problematic. To ask somebody that's not twenty two to be in your hotel room is problematic. Like, there's all kinds of things that look at that and say, "Well," I, and then and the person that gets the job will just say, "I was in the right place at the right time." Like, but it's not accessible. So that's the first way I would look at that. are yeah. Unique- you?
3: Go
2: ahead. No, I'm just going to echo, like, that's I like full transparency, the way that I've ever like been able to get support for our nonprofit is going to those parties, Yeah, like is getting inside of spaces, getting people to introduce you to other people. Like, you know, it's it is I think it's a reality in a lot of industries is that networking is real. um, But we you know, I don't have a solution for this or anything useful to add other than like I completely agree with you that this is a huge problem Um, and it can't be the way that we do we do business in this space. Right. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love networking. I love going to all of those, everybody, yeah. but most people this channel know I love going to the parties. I love because right. I grew up like being the weird girl who loved Batman in games. And this is an industry where that's like revered. It's not, that's like awesome. Right. You know, like go to go and hang out and talk about all these special interests. That was like, made you the black sheep at the family dinner table. Like, why can't you just be normal and watch normal girl stuff? Like, that was the whole life. So I loved all that stuff. But I will say, the thing that I really do love about our our having to network virtually or knock on doors virtually, is people don't care what I wear. I don't have to worry about that creepy guy. I like, I don't have to have extreme situational alertness on at all times and have a buddy system to walk down a sketchy street or creepos or whatever, or have to grit and bear it. when somebody with authority um, is, you know, having a conversation. I I, I don't miss that.
2: (laughs) Right. But so that's the thing is it works for folks who are already connected, but like those, like being in going to GDC getting a scholarship to go to GDC for the first time and you get to like go to the events and you get to walk the show floor and you get to meet people like if folks who aren't already connected can't even get those meetings and like as someone who is fairly connected I still have a hard time with it virtually right and so I think like there's a question of if we're moving into a virtual space for like a longer term moment, how are we opening up environments for people to naturally meet? Cause it's tough, right? Like we have discord channels and we have these chat groups, but like how do the people who aren't even in these spaces know about them? How do they find them? I think that that's like the bigger picture of kind of what we're talking about here is like, you know, how do you even meet the people who are going to tell you that there is a job, right? And how do you build relationships with them that they like, like you, right? And and that's not the way that people should be getting jobs here.
4: I will say that there is a difference between like networking on the GDC floor and in the conference and have attending GDC and like going to the events and then like the post eight o'clock event right? Like, I think that's the real difference between the discussion, right? Is that there are, you have to go out and hustle. If you're going to try to make it in the game industry, it is a desired industry. You have to work for it. No one's going to give it to you. Like that's not going to happen. But I think Renee's question speaks to more of, there are areas where people are predatory in environments and that goes to like time and space and where you are in a situation and how that's not fair to certain people. And that is a situation that has happened, especially very recently, like where we've seen that be an issue. Right. And so I think it's something that um, is problematic. And there are certain things that uh, you should never have a job dependent on you having to put yourself in a situation like that. Right. Like if you want an extra network and you want to meet thousands of people in the game industry and so you're at all the parties, that's cool. But your job dependency should not be on that network. Right, like yeah. that's not fair. And I,
2: I totally hear that. And I didn't mean to dismiss that part of it. Mm-hmm. I just feel like those parties are when that, when that happens. Like, um, you, you might meet people on the GDC floor, but it's not the same relationship that you're building as you're getting like drunk with someone and like having like. A, Usually, and and I don't know, this might not be for everyone, but often what I see is that people have fun with each other and that's how the relationship develops. It's not, I went up to you to talk about your game and my game and such and such. Like it happens in those more relaxed environments where the next day that person's like, oh yeah, that was fun. I had fun with that person. I should have fun with that person again. If I worked with them, it would be fun. And like, that's not, like, I, I think that, um, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just adding. Yeah.
3: No, <laughs> you know? Look- you're you're not wrong all points are valid we're at we're just at this we're just at this area now where like if we skip to the end of the end of the chapter of this book and the end of the chapter says all conferences next year are virtual still the question is like what are we gonna do yeah Mm -hmm. we just have to like we have we get to this point and i don't know about y'all i'm so curious because you're all leaders but a long time ago i was like i went straight into like when when gdc was canceled i went straight into like mad max apocalypse like cuz i do i live my life that way i studied biodefense i'm all about emergency preparedness i'm like the weirdo with the tomato cans and the parachute and the whatever and the mace and the compass and the fire starting kit like that is how i've lived my life and very early on we made a decision of like we are not going to stop people's dreams and careers and wait a whole other year. I remember the 2008 economy, that's when I had to find a job. That sucked, that was awful. And I was like, shit, if we are going down in flames as a nonprofit or whatever, due to people having budget constraints and COVID-19, we are going out in a blaze of glory and I'm getting every single person a freaking job. Um, Fast forward to where we are at today, uh, it's not perfect. Anita, like I am trying, we're trying to do like pizza parties. We've got people like, you know, try to connect with in Egypt, to New Zealand. Carl's done a panel. Renee knows like she and I, we've both what worked countless hours because we are global. So now everybody's connected digitally and globally. No, those relationships and the feel good stuff, it's not the same, but it's the world we live in today. And the one thing, the one positive thing that's going to come out of this is that if we go full virtual, if I go full like Nika's Mad Max apocalyptic universe, where we're in by the way, if our apocalypse is that we're stuck on the internet and have food and water, I think that's a pretty good apocalypse by the way. But if that's the universe of 2021, the opportunity we have is that instead of helping 60 people that I usually bring in physically to GDC, I can take what we've done this year due to the support of like 300 plus people that have do- like literally dived in with two feet. We can help way more than 60 people because the part of networking that we also that we do talk about is access, but it's not just access in terms of like finding people physically at a bar. There are so many people who cannot afford to get to GDC. There are people whose visas were denied even before the pandemic. There are people who have dreams and aspirations beyond ourselves. We forget how like it's so, you know, there's such so much bad and negativity, but we forget how Lucky we are, by extension, to be in North America with like even like the potential promise of hopping on a train and saving up all your money to to even make it. There are people in different countries that can't even dream like they'll they'll never have the resources to just hustle. And so the idea that companies and the games industry can actually expand beyond itself geographically, I think that's huge. Um, it's, it's going to be the same as grabbing a beer or a pizza or a LaCroix No, but are, is there a possibility to kind of shift the perspective and create more opportunities, more jobs virtually in places that we would have never thought of? I think that's really exciting. Ooh, Absolutely. I got all positive. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I do think that the movement towards online events in response to this pandemic has opened up the opportunities for more people to potentially attend them. And I know that the IGDA uh, is working with uh, our special interest groups to run two different events, one focused on Uh, Latinx developers and one focus on developers from the Southern Hemisphere uh, this upcoming fall and winter. And the only reason those events are being made uh, possible and as popular as they are starting to become is because we are looking at more online events and it does open up that access and opportunity.
2: Can I be really annoying?
1: Yes, please. <laughs> uh, I just, I
2: want to plug the hotline really quick. One, because oh, yeah. it's brand new and Absolutely. we just launched this week, but also I think it's relevant to this. So the Games and Online Harassment hotline literally opened yesterday. Um, it's an emotional support resource for folks who make and play games. Um, and I bring it up now because um, while I, like I, I totally agree that it being digital opens up a whole world of opportunity for a lot of folks that didn't have access before. Um, it also brings with its uh, with it a whole host of other issues, uh, separate issues. And so, I just wanted to say that, like, the hotline is here for you if you need it. Um, although it's only in the U.S. <laughs> unfortunately, but if but it is an emotional support resource, and I think that like being stuck at home, feeling isolated, maybe feeling a little bit lost in your career, are very real. And and I want to honor those feelings and those concerns. Um, And I wanna just add the hotline as another resource in addition to the work that other folks are doing uh, for people right now.
1: Yeah, that's a a wonderful um, resource and and tool for those who are working to navigate the industry or even who are looking to enter it. Um, As I'm sure that everyone in this group uh, has experienced a lot of harassment within the games uh, space and knows that providing that kind of support uh, can be really, really beneficial. Um, so we do have some questions from the audience. Uh, the first one is I've been getting a studio of students together from all around the IGDA. I was astounded by the amount of diversity of students that I found. What are some ways to gain maintain that momentum as we grow? So how do they maintain the diversity momentum? How do they, retain that diverse talent uh, as their studio grows
4: they're asking their recruitment effort like they want they want to be able to they, they
1: have re- they've recruited diverse talent but they want to ensure that as they move forward and as they grow they retain that talent and they retain that diversity
4: ask the people they recruited to ask some of their friends to apply like i mean like yeah. just use the pool they have expand their friendship network expand who they are, expand the, the group of people that they they talk to. Look at the schools they came from. All those different things. Like let the, the it starts with the people there if they already have a people know each other. I mean they can that group can expand quite easily in the group they've already applied. If they're looking just from uh, top down methodology, look at different resources. Uh, National Society of Black Engineers is a good resource for, for programmers. Art uh, using ArtStation or one of the online places to find like diverse talent and art. There's lots of resources you can use for that dynamic. Yeah.
3: Our our, just even like our underrepresented, our pipeline for underrepresented groups, our programs, the reason why we have more applications year over year is because people walk through the program and then they go tell their friends who either have similar interests or look like them or care about diversity and that's how they apply too because they spread the word and they say like, oh, I did this thing and I you know, walked out of it not feeling like shit and got a job, it was awesome. Um, your your best allies are the people who are actually enjoying and walking through whatever the programming is that you have.
2: It sounds like you're already doing the work, um, and that's great. And I would just urge you to realize that this is an ongoing thing, that you have to keep doing the work and that that work isn't always easy. Um, And so, you know, there are very specific stuff like that Carl had brought up earlier around um, like or I think Renee may have brought this up around like, what do your job applications look like? Where are you posting those? Um, and then also, you know, retaining, like thinking about retaining and, and being, creating an environment where um, folks in your workplace can give you feedback if they feel like it's, you know, there's cultural issues that are coming up and that you're receptive to them and that you'll acknowledge them. Um, I think we'll do a lot to get folks like word of mouth, excited about the culture of your studio and make folks want to work
4: there. I want to add one point to what I was said earlier too. Uh, as you grow, make sure you're hiring managers have experience and look for diverse recruitment. Yeah. Like they will, that person determines a lot at your studio. So whoever you put in HR or put in that position of recruitment, uh, look and see if they're taking classes in diversity and back. Like you need to look at that person's profile very carefully, because that person can just shape the whole culture of your studio without realizing, without you realizing it. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that that's a a great point, Carl. And I kind of want to expand on this question. So we talked a lot about uh, recruiting that talent, um, but we've seen that mentorship and internal support networks can be critical for the growth and retention of employees. Uh, How can those networks be implemented to better support diverse talent as well?
4: Well... Every studio should have ERGs, which is employee, employee, employee resource groups. And employee resource groups are designed to give people who have a, a, a minor voice at studios a, a voice, right? And uh, I think the IGJ is doing a really good job as in, in building out ERG support. Um, where you can find people on un- those are equivalent to like black student unions on college campuses or Latino student unions on college campuses. It gives a place where people have my, uh, my marginalized support, a place to go for resources. Because it's very difficult if um, one of the things we talk about all the time is uh, if, if there's no institutional uh, remembrance of problems, that person starts to feel like a cr- feel crazy, right? So if you're being harassed by somebody in your uh, in your job, the reset button always happens to get a new manager, right? So if you're getting, you're getting racially harassed, sexually harassed, and you go to your boss and say, hey, This person's harassing me, right? When that boss leaves, another boss goes in and they reset the button. Well, you know, maybe this person doesn't really do that, or maybe this person is just confused, or maybe this, and so you end up having this argument for like six years. When it's obvious you're just being bullied, right? And so what you need is, resources there that exist, that exist beyond the institutional dynamic, so that you know this is a problem.
1: Absolutely. Um, I have another question for the audience. How do you bring programs like this to rural areas where access to technology and access to education is near impossible, but you have entire populations of people with interests that have no real way to move forward? Internet access is still a huge problem
3: yeah i'm sorry i don't mean to like jump in on this one this is a this is a topic that has i've i've been passionate about way before even coming into games like i come i come by waynes of like working on capitol hill at the house energy and commerce committee broadband uh, connectivity the way that cable company and this isn't even like a foundation thing right but like broadband activities um our broadband's an issue now. We've got like the fight about 5G, and then you're totally right. Not only like do you have like internet connectivity issues with the monopoly of what's going on, and that whole debate on net neutrality, but um, it's I will say like it is very difficult because not only do you, I understand that there's a tech. Component, but if technology isn't culturally built into your local community, then you also have to balance with the stigma of right, your peers, your parents, your educators, because that means you're not getting the education either. I will say that um, a lot for a lot of these communities, if you're passionate, it's not the best answer, but your your few options are like one is to self-taught, self-teach, self-whatever. Like Go to your most local libraries, public libraries should have some sort of access or connectivity. It's built into, um, and if we're talking about the United States, it's built into local legislation. There's supposed to be tax incentives there to make sure that everybody has access to internet. Internet should be a public utility. Um, and unfortunately, if you can't even afford right the, the college, the whatever. The beauty of living in the internet age is that there are community Facebook groups, Discord groups. You do unfortunately have to dig, right? Like you do have to put in the sell, the work, the effort. Um, but treat it like. Treat your dreams and your passions to work in games as if, like, you are a small business. Create your strategic plan. Like, okay, I want to learn. I know. I can't. I, this is how I function. My type A. I know, I need. To, you make fun of me. I don't care. Get your little post-its out. Create a vision board. Be like, all right, if I want to make this game, I got to create I love vision boards. All right? I'm all about
4: with no technology?
3: <laughs> there's, not, there's very little that I learned in school that I've actually applied in real life. I've, it's one of the most overeducated. I've got a bunch of useless degrees, but I'm being serious. Like, look up what the free resources are. Uh, whether it's learning Unity, finding the right Facebook group, uh, create uh, creating comrades online that can actually support and um, chit with you back and forth on what game it is you want to develop. Look at programs that the AGDA Foundation does have. Look at programs. Um, There's stuff on Code Academy. There's Code Coven for women trying to learn online. There are a lot of sponsored opportunities. But it takes research. There's no one good web page because that tells you, oh, here's all the things. Because guess what? Nonprofits are touch and go um, because we're completely Reliant on resources, so sometimes, like when a nonprofit's out there, it might only last for three years because it loses funding or something goes on with the donor. Um, but really, like, cut yourself some slack. Figure out your internet access as best you can, because um, I I would never say that your first step is to leave. Right, that's not a great solution. Uh, and then chip away at what are the tools you think you need. And also, like, there's no harm in reaching out to, I, I had one of our grantees do this, make a list of 100 people you aspire to be, become designers, whatever, follow them on LinkedIn, and reach out to them and just be like, hey, what are the things that I need to know and do the research? I, the, the way I got half of the skills or the things I needed to figure out what the heck I was doing, I cold called the heck out of people when I first started, like 150 printed copies of resumes door to door. i watched people throw my resume away in front of me. I did not care. Obviously you can't do that virtually, but luckily, hopefully nobody will have that heartbreak. They'll just not respond, but just freaking start asking people also, what part of the country are you in? Check out the IGDA's chapters. See if there's a community there. Go to Renee's online events. I'm here to support a more diverse pipeline and all that jazz, but Renee actually has, don't you have like a bunch of classes and stuff on this? You've got like a conference and you've got game jams and all sorts of things. Like definitely look at the IGDA because there's, even if the chapter's not directly near you, people are having virtual events everywhere. That's not a perfect answer or great answer, but I, for whoever is asking that question, I 100% feel for you thats that it's, uh, internet connectivity will always be an issue um, and it's, it's really unfortunate. It should be similar to electricity or, you know, whatever. It should be a utility.
4: You, there, there should be something in your town that has fast connectivity. That could be the library. It could be your school. It could be a community college. It could be the city hall, right? Yeah. The beauty thing is you only, ro- you only need one room with computers. That's all you need and them plugged in. You don't need anything else resource wise So if you can convince somebody in your town to give you a room, and has that t1 line or has that that cable line you need and plug in and you get access to it you're you're ready like you don't and then all you need is computers at that point and if it's that serious to you you got to fundraise you got to go out there and make that happen that's that's on you it's not fair but it's what it is you know you don't need your house you just need a room with computers
1: So I think that there are really two important components here. You know, obviously, once you get Internet access, educating yourself on uh, how to do the part of game development that you're interested in is very important. Uh, On the other side, it's something that we've kind of touched on off and on here. I think it's really important to figure out how to do self-promotion. It's really important to figure out how to actually get your name out there and, you know, attending events, applying to scholarships um, like the IGA Foundation scholarships, uh, speaking up, writing blog posts, making videos. You have to understand that no matter where you are, there's somebody who's looking for information, even the most basic information that you've acquired and sharing that information and providing your own support is a way to build uh, a community around you and build support around you, even if you're starting from nothing. Great. Uh, So we're nearly out of time here. Uh, I know that we've had a really uh, great discussion so far, and we've covered a lot of topics. Uh, But I wanted to invite each of our panelists to leave off with sort of one last important statement, one thing that they're really passionate about when it comes to hiring and retaining diverse uh, leadership about diversity and inclusion in games, uh, the one thing they'd like the audience to walk away with today and keep in mind. Uh, Carl, do you wanna start?
4: Sure, if it's up to me, my, my most important thing would say, um, think about overrepresentation in your studio. If you have, if you're averaging eight white guys out of ten people, you're at eighty percent. That's an overrepresentation in your studio. So think about that. Should be that number over the next couple of years should be leveled out, right? You should be hiring different diversity people because overrepresentation means you're going to do the same thing over and over again because you don't have diversity of thinking in your studio. As far as um. Things you get involved in. Black and Gaming is one of the one of the premier advocacy organizations in the world about this topic. If you want to help us, we're We're ready for your help. Um give me a hit on, on Twitter at Black and Gaming. And we have a couple things I want to give shouts out to. We have our um our Black and Gaming Award show, which is happening uh the part as part of PAX. So if you want to come see that? That'd be great. Great.
1: Anita?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm slightly different tack as I'm going to say that abuse and toxicity in our industry is a huge problem. And so I would encourage folks to really reckon with what that means, to really reckon with what it means to hold our industry accountable in this space and start um, learning how to build in anti-abuse mechanisms or support mechanisms for survivors and victims into your workplaces as a very conscious uh, effort before anything happens so that you're you know how to deal with these issues and you know how to do them in a way that centers the persons the people who have been harmed
1: yeah and with your uh, game harassment hotline and your own experience with uh, handling harassment i know that you're definitely someone to reach out to for uh, advice in that matter
3: nika yeah if you have open positions and you aren't a terrible person feel free to DM me at Nika uh, because I've got lots of people that want to get hired. I've got lots of people that we've been polishing up and working on um, you know, building up their uh, technical skills, their soft skills, et cetera, all summer long, not summer for every country, but you know what I mean? My Twitter is at Nika, feel free to DM me, but we also take the placement of where we put guarantees very seriously. We want to make sure that they're at awesome studios that aren't going to make them feel like shit based on the way and who they're bored in. So know that if you DM me, I'm also looking at accountability.
1: Wonderful. Uh, Thank you three for joining us. I think this was a great panel and it seems like our audience was really receptive. Um, Let's hope that we can all work together to make this industry more supportive for everyone.